You know, every time I speak, I want the truth to come out. You know what I'm saying? Every time I speak, I want to shiver. You know, I don't want them to be like, they know what I'm going to say because it's polite. They know what I'm going to say. And even if I get in trouble, you know what I'm saying? That ain't that what we're supposed to do? It's, I'm not saying I'm going to rule the world or I'm going to change the world, but I guarantee that I will spark the, the, the brain that will change the world. When I'm finished working, as tired as I am, and my work completely takes all my energy, unfortunately, but when there are kids who come backstage afterwards, who want to talk or who are moved to the point, sometimes they're moved to tears, I want to know more about it, and they shake my hand, and they kiss me, and they want to talk about their problems. I find the time to do so as much as I can. Uh, um, I discourage breakfasts and speeches because I'm not, I don't make speeches, but I will go out of my way, in spite of the fact that I'm too tired to do it, to talk to them at least for five minutes or so, to to, to sock to them the same message that I just finished doing on stage and perhaps to hear some of their grievances or just to make them feel that they are not alone. Because uh, when, when you have a few colored kids in a huge white college, any way you cut it, they are alienated and they feel it. So when I come, I feel a responsibility. They're so glad to see me because I represent something to them. And I can't give them enough, you know. I, I, they need me. They need me. And when, I, when I'm needed, I, I, I have to give. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Latrice Ross. And welcome to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. We are the return of intelligent radio as we ensure the free flow of opinions and push the envelope on the questions America's afraid to ask in the mainstream media. Good morning, Latrice. Thank you, Queen, for being with me this morning. If you will, say hello to the truth seekers and go ahead and give them a little bit of your background before we let the cat out the bag on this morning's discussion question. How are you doing, Queen? Sure. Good morning. Happy Saturday. I'm excited to be here again today. Um, I'm Latrice Ross. I am a um, diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant. I've been doing this work for about 15 years, and if people wonder what that is, I work with organizations to ensure that um, all intersections of diversity have access to equitable opportunities. Um, and as a black woman, of course, my, my favorite intersection of diversity to work with is, of course, black, black people. So um, that's what I do, both professionally and personally. No, love it. Glad to have you on for what I've called one of my most important shows that I've done in a number of years. Um, I was highlighting as I was promoting this show that I, I you know, I have another show that I kind of consider to be the innocence, um, the best show I've ever done as far as how deep we went into the psychology of our own people, if you will, as we just heard a cut from um, Nina Simone just talking about, uh, in a sense, her commitment to always, in a sense, giving to her people when she was performing. And so I kind of started this show this morning because I think that's going to be an opportunity for anybody that tunes into this show. Uh, we're going to push the envelope on a lot of things, and I will go ahead and warn people, cognitive dissonance will probably be 
pretty normal on this show is to push the envelope on a lot of things that, in a sense, as an African-American community, we think about ourselves as we discuss generalization, stereotypes, and maybe some even, you know, some things that are true that we don't want to deal with. So uh, this morning's discussion question is, can black people handle the truth about themselves? And so as we always start, Queen, if you will, when I reached out to you and said, hey, this is an important show, you know, just based on your background, I would love for you to help me navigate this show. When you heard that title, can you recall your first initial thought? Yes, it's a discussion that needs to be had um, because I actually recently just engaged in dialogue on social media about with someone who was doing this very same thing. Um, they, they were generalizing us and it wasn't in a positive way. It was in a negative way. And I went back and forth with this person trying to, to help them understand um, how harmful that is, but they weren't hearing it. And so when I saw this um, topic, when you shared it with me, I was like, yes, I want to be a part of this conversation. No, absolutely. And, again, I definitely wanted you to help me as one of our queens of intellect. For those who don't know, um, I have a cadre of queens who kind of keep me in check and so as we do these various shows on race, sex, and culture, I reach out to them based on their backgrounds and say, hey, help me navigate this show. Because at the end of the day, I always want to make sure that it's a balanced opinion in a sense because, as you know, the reality is when we discuss different dialogues, sometimes men and women see things different. So I always want to make sure that I got, you know, a queen of intellect member keeping me in check. And uh, Latrice is definitely prone to do that. So, again, I thank you, Queen, for this, you know, for being on this show. And so with that said, let's kind of get into it um, to a degree. I got some amazing cuts that we're going to be playing after the commercials. As you always know, that's what we do. And so we'll just really, really dig in as best we can. Um, but, you know, I also want to give credit to one of the callers la last week. Um, as I call all of you out there listening, y'all are, are the truth seekers. And as I always say, I have the smartest audience in all of radio. And so we had an open dialogue our last um uh, for the second hour last um, Saturday, as we had an amazing discussion on, if you will, should uh, black families have a monthly monopoly night? First hour was amazing with one of the other Queens of Intellect members, Ashley Thomas, as we discussed strategies and how it could help youth gain financial literacy. But the second hour was an open hour, and we got into a dialogue that prompted really this week's show. And it was near the tail end. Um, the second hour was a free hour. People could talk about whatever they want. And we got into a discussion. Um, relatively about, in a sense, how African-Americans spend their money. And so um, it was a generalization made by one of the callers. And so we went a little back and forth. It was near the end of the show. So I didn't really get to complete the conversation. And so it kind of stayed on my brain, and it led me to this discussion because, as you just mentioned, Latrice, um, you know, again, perfect timing. That's how the universe works. You were having a dialogue this week. And fittingly, this is the show I asked you to come on because, as you said, there are generalizations that, uh, we need to discuss, and sometimes um, maybe some of, you know, I always say that sometimes there's a little truth in, in, in generalizations to a degree, or it can be, um, and sometimes they're completely false. And so that's the dialogue. Let's talk about some of these stereotypes. Let's talk about some of these generalizations and which ones should we be dealing with, uh, if you will, or sometimes there's even suggestions that we should deal with. And I would offer that some of these things are not even issues based on the data. And, you know, talking about the data, if you will, real quick, just kind of add that context because that's your thing. That's your, your baby. Anytime I've had dialogue with you, you really like to back it up with as much data as possible. And sometimes people 
you know, have this, well, sometimes a lot of people will say um, you can make data say anything, uh, but that could be true if you don't know how to, if you don't understand how to put data in context. And so that's something I spent doing this week on this um, this week's Just My Three Cents show, which I'll talk about a little bit later. But if you will, before we go into the break, kind of set that aspect up because, again, you do this as a, as a professional and understand how to analyze data for the trend. Some people take data as facts, but trends def- – I'm sorry, but data can definitely give you a trend, and therefore you might can find a solution versus just somebody manipulating you. Go ahead, Queen. It's ironic how I actually came to, to be so focused on the data. Um, but one of the things that, that, that totally grinds my gears is when I hear anyone talk about, well, what about black-on-black crime? Um, but particularly when black people do it, it grinds my gears to a screech. Like, like fingers on the chalkboard grinding my gears. And, and the data from the FBI database actually reads that black-on-black crime is the issue. First of all, they're crimes of proximity, and black, black people don't commit the most crimes. But we have perpetuated this stereotype for decades, and now we have adopted it as a part of our community. When we begin to talk about social issues, someone will invariably say, well, what about black-on-black crime in your own community, in our own community? And then that's when I have to start pulling out the data and sharing the FBI, the, the crime, the crime statistics with them. Mm-hmm. And nine times out of ten, they'll either go into that cognitive dissonance phase, or they'll find that one example that that they are aware of that that is the outlier to the data. So I think it's important that we as a people learn to not just read the data, but to to understand how to analyze and interpret that data as well. No, absolutely. It's very important if we're, in a sense, going to raise the culture and improve the mindset, which is something that we always do here. When we simply say all our asses that you think, and the concept is if you learn to think for yourselves, you can find your own answers. I don't have the answers. We have these dialogues, and I go by Black Socrates and ask all these questions, hoping to get to answers and you find seeds that you need to improve, in a sense, how you see yourself, and in this case, how we see our people. And, again, there are some things that we do need to own up to as well. So this conversation will go a lot of various places. We will definitely get into the discussion you just talked about, uh, Latrice, a little later in the show. We're going to get started with our first break. We'll be right back, and we'll get hot and heavy into this morning's discussion. Can black people handle the truth about themselves? We'll be right back, where all I ask is that you think. Have you heard about that podcast, Mental Dialogue? It's so good, it should be illegal. But if you miss the live show every Saturday, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Blog Talk Radio, be sure to catch replays on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, and all other streaming platforms. We are the return of Intelligent Radio, and we are the best in the world at having hard conversations on race, sex, gender, and business in the African-American community. And remember, all I ask is that you think. LNG Technology Services, we are your industry leader in aircraft and heavy equipment repair services. In commercial business for over 15 years, LNG technicians have over 150 years of equipment-specific knowledge and are known industry-wide for returning worn-out, broken, and overused ground support equipment back to the user in working better than new conditions. 
For a service job done right at a value unparalleled in the industry, contact LNG Technology Services at 478-781-4860. Again, for a service job done right, that number is 478-781-4860. LNG Technologies is a Mental Dialogue Gold member and proud sponsor of the Mental Dialogue community. We're so trained and it's so embedded to have that Eurocentric mindset that worry about myself, worry about me, worry about mine, worry about mine. I'm not going to help nobody else who look like me build up when everybody else do it but us. I got Paul George sitting right here. I got DeMar DeRozan sitting right here. I got Russell Westbrook sitting right here. I'm literally sitting next to all of these dudes who are L.A. guys. I'm like, bro, I'm not counting your chips, but everybody else is. So you make 200, you make 200, you make 175, you make 150, you make 180. Why don't y'all have your own gym? Why we got to go to UCLA to work out in LA every time? What bank going to turn us down? We about to build this whole shit out for our community. We got the money. We don't have the mindset. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host and diversity consultant Latrice Ross. This morning's discussion question, can black people handle the truth about themselves? As we just hear a cut from former NBA player J.R. Smith on a podcast I love, I Am Athlete, as he was just breaking down. There was a cut that they share, I guess, you know, kind of promoting their show with J.R. Smith. And you hear him say a lot of things that for most of my life, Latrice, I would have bought into everything he said. I would even offer that to a degree. Most of our culture buys into a lot of what he said, the Eurocentric mindset where we just, I got to get mine. And he says, you know, he he hypothetically, he wasn't necessarily sitting next to them. He was hypothetically highlighting if he's next to these, these certain players, um, and let me throw this out. I'll have a little more, and probably have a little more than him, considering how much they've made. That's just an assumption on my part. I could be wrong, but just saying, hey, why don't we have our own gym? You know, it's a mindset. We we got the money. So in his situation, if in a sense he's sitting in that at that hypothetical t- table, if you will, to agree, that table does quote unquote have the money. Here's a, a couple of places I would like to challenge it again. That's the idea of can we handle the truth about ourselves, and I definitely want to get your thoughts as well. But here's a, I have a couple of things I want to challenge, but I'll start here. So, when, you know, when I look at that, and as much as I know that resonates with our community, from, my, from, from trying to add a perspective to what I'm listening to, I'm sitting here going, I don't know, uh, um, it's, you know, there's plenty of white athletes in different sports, right? I don't know of five, six, seven, I mean, just, just throwing it out there real quick, uh, athletes that have come together to uh, that we know about that's put up a gym, if you will. And he's highlighting, you know, why are we going to UCA, UCLA, which is a college gym and real popular for the NBA players out there in L.A. to go to, you know, in the off season. I, do, I will add that context. He's saying, why are we going there versus having our own complex? Uh, but it's a it's a challenge to his brothers that, most would agree with, and I'm sitting here going, while they're still playing, they're probably not coming together to think about trying to have a gym as a business more than likely, but a little bit of his 
little bit of what he's alluding to is, in a sense, for our community. Sometimes when we make that suggestion, we don't really get, we don't really understand what that looks like in having something for the community, if that makes sense. So again, I'm just starting there, and I have some other places I want to go. What are your thoughts, Queen? Um, it, it's ironic that you play that because I actually listened to that Wednesday, that very same clip before you even reached out to me. Um, wow. And, and I know. And and as he was talking, it's funny how 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 your your mind works and how you have to be intentional about your thoughts. Because when I initially heard it, I was like, he's right. But then when I when I thought about it, but he's not not entirely. Um, I think we because of how black America is, is how folks think about us as a community and even how um, there's a large majority of us who live in poverty. Um, I think we, some of us come to, we, we come to think that, well, why don't we just come together and do these things? But like you said, we don't have other folks who do that or even from my perspective or from my purview come together and even talk like that. But we often hear people come to saying, why don't we as a people come together and do this or do that, and, and why don't we do this to uplift our community? But the data actually shows that more than any other demographic, black people actually do what he says. Absolutely. Within, yeah, within the purview of, of our financial status, more Absolutely. than any other diagramic, we come together to build up our community more than any other race. But yet we're always the ones who are downing each other about that very thing. And so this fella, like you say, you happen to listen to that clip. This fella to my lap literally this morning. Let me pull it up real quick. Wow. This what I'm about to know, what I'm about to explain to you, you know, there's a quick thing I'm about to share with you. I'm about to um, pull up, literally fell in my lap this morning, which was um, Meek Mills, if you're familiar with him as a hip-hop artist. He happened to mention um, a guy I never heard of. I've never heard of Mike Rubin. Have you ever heard of that name? Mm-mm. Okay, yeah, I looked him up this morning just because I happened to see Meek Mill speaking about this. But Meek Mill put out a clip this morning, that based not, not this morning, but a tweet or, or, or something on social media. I don't want to get wrong. But he put out a tweet talking about how this guy, Mike Rubin, has put him on to five amazing deals, I guess, since he's been dealing with him. And he said none of the OGs in his industry had, had not done so. And um, he says... I guess as he gets into position, he wants to change that. So here's the psychology that I really want to get into with this. This Mike Rubin guy, I looked him up this morning. He's a white guy, whatever. He and so the, I guess the way he put the tweet up, he, he you know he puts a picture of Mike Rubin and himself together, saying this guy's put me on five deal, five deals. None of the OGs in my industry have done that. I absolutely understand where it's coming from, the perspective, but here's the detrimental again to the facts. So for him, he's kind of putting it out there saying, I'm going to be different. I'm not going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to come together with my people. I had to kind of go to this. He's in two degrees. I'm just kind of saying I got to go to this white guy and get hooked up this way. So I look up Mike Rubin. How about Mike Rubin is worth $9 billion, Patrice? <laughs> How about Mike Rubin is an American businessman and philanthropist, as many of the billionaires like to put by their name, right? So mm-hmm. he's an American businessman. His nine billion is worth more than, you know, Jay Z, Dr. Dre, and and and, and um, uh, Oprah Road together, right? The names that we always throw out there. Um, I'm highlighting this because this man 
is a his first thing it says an American businessman. So that's the starting way he's described as a not, a not as with nine billion dollars. So getting put on to deals from a businessman who got clearly if that's his way he's described in Wikipedia, then he's a businessman and made his money through business. What OG would we have in our community that's anything close to him? Um, other, you know, other than what's the uh, brother Robert Robert Smith? Am I saying his name right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Other other than Robert yeah. Smith, which is one person, and Meek Mill happened to whatever through his you know relationships or in the, whatever linked up with this Mike Rubin guy could have been easily been Robert Smith to a degree, but you know at the end of the day, when we, even when we start talking billionaires, we're we're usually at the end of that two. 220, them 2,200 billionaires in the country. We're usually at the bottom of that. I'm mean, just going to be keeping it above, but it ain't about me downing or saying that we're at the bottom of it. It's just the the realization to say that we don't come together or we can't do that. When he really just should have came out and said, hey, this dude has hooked me up, get to the mm-hmm. position that he wants to get to and start doing what he would have liked to see. There's no need to down um our community, when what he, the person he's hooked up with, there's no equivalence. Go ahead, Queen. I'm sorry. Right. No, but that that's and that's the thing. I don't. I think they like we like to compare ourselves to Eurocentric standards, and we don't meet those standards. We don't have the history of of. They have over a 400 year head start on us in gaining wealth, and and we're still playing catch up. And so you can have. A Mike Rubin, who's worth nine billion, come and, and and help him with his venture, because he has that. He's an American businessman. He has nine billion. Like you said, our folks are typically at the bottom of that billionaire's list. And not saying that it's, that two billion or three billion is not a lot of money, but though they're doing their thing within the the context of of their that what they can hand, handle with their building, their billion. But I think what we have to get to an underst- a place of understanding is that, one, we need to stop comparing ourselves to Eurocentric standards because our, our lived experiences have been different since we arrived in this country. And we were, we were enslaved. Our people were enslaved. They gave work for free. They built the country that the, these billionaires built their wealth on. But our ancestors built this country for free. And then they took advantage of that free labor, and they built wealth on that while enslaving our ancestors. And then even after that, oppressing our ancestors. And even to this point, we're still paid less than. It's going to take 97 years to achieve wage parity for black people. What does that mean? That means for black people, let's say a black software engineer, to be paid the same thing that white software engineers are paid, it's going to take 97 years if we stay at the pace that we're currently on. So if that's the pace that we're going to achieve equitable pay, how are we going to be able to compete with the Mike Rubens in the world? Absolutely. So this is how we do it, though. There's a way to do it. So I, I, and, I, and thank you for that history and, you know, that information. So there's a way to do it. The way to do it is, again, just meet Mill, wasting no time on that tweet to reinforce supposedly that we don't come together. It's him getting those deals, getting in the position to just turn around and do exactly what Mike Rubin did. 
So so we, we mm-hmm. have people that already do it to a degree, but it, it matters that it gets done without reinforcement of what he's suggesting with the t- tweet because he's being intentional by putting out that tweet mm-hmm. to say, hey, my OGs didn't put me on, but this oh, this this particular guy he's rocking with is a businessman. So what what you, you understand what I'm saying? Like like I want to put that in today's context. Like like even the this devoid of the history, if you're linking up with a businessman who may have business deals working, like it's it's real cool and we love to see a Jay Z venture off into business, right? We love to see mm-hmm. Oprah venture off from what she in a sense got known from, but to a degree, um it's very different when your bones were made in business, like you know maybe a Robert Smith. I don't know enough of his history, and then we and we have and we have plenty of business people. But here's the, here's 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 some numbers just to share this, and I'm gonna get to a lot of these callers that are ready to jump in. So so also keep in mind, I know you know these numbers as well, but just from the concept of how we even see the concept of a million dollars, right? Um, mm-hmm. To a degree. People are starting to say, you know, today a million dollars is not a lot of money. People are starting to say that and get that perspective, especially with inflation. But to a degree, if you've never touched it, it still seems like a lot. And in a sense, I want to highlight this. So in a sense, I will make a comparison just to give a perspective. So White America is one in four or million families are one in four are millionaires. So just using the million-dollar number for African Americans, that's one in 14. And as we just highlighted, even using the J.R. Smith example, that one in four are not looked at by, in a sense, the rest of white America saying, hey, do this for us, put this together. And, it's, it's, you know, we're one in 14, and we're looking to those who are wealthy to, in a sense, help the community without realizing that, that in a sense, the higher they rise, the more they can help, and... It's, and we, and you have to still be specific to are they in that industry? Because when we're looking to athletes who they're, you know, 10 years of having to focus on their bodies and be the best athletes, that's how they get the the income. They don't necessarily become business people and can just help you with your ventures. And we see the 30 for 30s where they've lost their money on average in five years because they didn't understand finances. And of course, we're not, I'm not blaming them on that. I'm just saying the expectation is so unfair for one in 14 to do these things when the one in four in other communities are not even being asked. They're just, and, and I want us to get to the freedom where that's not the requirement, if that makes sense. Give me a thought on that. It does. Next caller. No, it it, it 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 shouldn't be the requirement because, like you said, this this Mike Rubin is a businessman. These athletes are, you know, they're athletes or entertainers or whatever industry they're in, and you know there are costs associated with that. And the thing is, we we discount when when you have the statements like those made by Mike by Meek Mill. We discount the things that they do in our community. Because they're not doing this for me doesn't mean that they're not doing other things for other people. And right. that's what we need to be mindful of. No, absolutely. Let me get to some of these callers out here. I got Brother Kevin out of South Carolina trying to get in this thing. What's up, King? What you got for us? I'm, I'm going to challenge you before you start. Oh, the, the, the goal of this show is not simply to complain about black folks. And we're going to get to some real things that we need to deal yeah, with. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you because that's the dialogue. No, you're not challenging me. 
as we get through these two hours, <laughs> if this, if this, I, I hope the concept would be if, don't get on here and simply complain about black people. Like I said, there are some real issues. This ain't the only issue we're talking about. Right now, I'm just talking about the concept of expectation. All right, go I'm ahead not, and jump in, he, he, all right, let's go. Let's go. See, but see, you already told the setup, and you already knew I got to <laughs> come back. But no, I don't complain about black folk. I complain about the plight which we're in. What I'm saying is this. Something this morning came across my feed where uh, uh, Steve Harvey and T.J. Jakes is talking. And Steve Harvey is going on this thing. It sounds good on the surface if you don't understand the deepness of it. He said, uh, he has built his wealth, and he's not leaving his kids. Uh, he told his kids that he's going to spend, eight, him and his that, wife are going to spend 80% of what they earned, mm-hmm. 85% of what they earned. He might leave them 5 to 10%. So uh, TJ Jake says, well, if you instill things in them, they can make more, so you won't have to give them as much. You know, if you instill the stuff in them, you know, plant the seeds to make money, whatever. And it, it sounds good on the surface, but that's the most idiotic thing I've ever heard in my life. Let me tell you why. Because what they're talking about is two rich men talking about how to be rich. And there's a difference in rich, richness, and wealth. Richness, I have to, I'll go ahead and make it, and I spend it. I make it, I spend it. I make it, I spend it. But wealthy. I make it on a whole nother level, and I guarantee not only do I have money, my kids, my grandkids, and their grandkids, and we'll forever have money. Why? Because it increases so grassly, greater than what I can make it at. See, with people will take, save 50%, spend 50%. Wealthy people save 75%, spend 25%. Because as long as I'm saving, I'm studying, increasing on the mound. And the mound is becoming a mountain. See, we don't really, those folk that will tell you drop a little jewel on you, he thought he dropped a jewel on him, right? He didn't drop no jewel. They only tell you enough because they know you're not a threat to them. Like you said, that's a $9 billion man. He's not worrying about what you do with $100,000. He's not going to show you. How and plus they, those ventures that he might lead put you on, those are their ventures, and you are invested in their businesses. So and let me say this real quick. I got another caller, and we have to get the break. Kevin, we have to get the break, so you have to come off and get back in. So the thing I'm gonna say about what you just said is another dialogue about perspective. You don't know that it's their business. You don't know if the venture is. You don't know what anything about the venture. I do. I I, I always die. I literally die test the assumption that anytime we are doing a venture that that is that the black person doesn't know what they're doing and it's theirs. I, I, I test that perspective. Magic Johnson is a, a is is the epitome of doing strategic alliance and strategic business with others and still keeping his wealth. So I just want to challenge that real quick. We all forget to break so you have to respond later. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show where all I ask is that you think. If you're looking to purchase or sell a home in Atlanta's competitive real estate market, there's only one real estate agent we call on, Ephraim Abdullah. Not only is he honest and straightforward, but he has a proven, repeatable strategy that consistently gets his clients the homes they wanted versus their second or third choice. 
What's Elfram's secret? His virtual on-the-spot offer moves his clients to the front of the line for purchases. And for sales, his no-nonsense approach gets your home sold and off the market. For a results-oriented real estate experience, contact Elfram Abdullah, a licensed agent powered by EXP Realty at 770-800-7922. Again, that number is 770-800-7922. Without further ado, things black people like and away, we... Go. Hoodies. Basketball. Track and field. Being black. Henny. Going to the club. Go-go. Promoting their music on SoundCloud. Spinrilla. Eating unhealthy. Obama. Jays. Slanting their hats. Oodles of noodles. Those are good as shit. Red Lobster. Being late for things. Anything Gucci Mane says. Living in Atlanta. Going to a private school on an athletic scholarship. Girls thicker than a bowl of oatmeal. Having a thousand Twitter followers. Black Jesus. Extremely long church services. Praying before everything. Sucking their teeth. Obsessing over 2K and playing it whenever they can. Giving you attitude while working at their retail job. White girls. Filming fights. Hot sauce. Wings. Bleaching their hair. <laughs> Who would do that, right? <laughs> Not getting married. Friday. Complicated handshake. Cookouts and barbecuing. Buying lottery tickets. Having rhythm and being able to dance. Frying things. Blasting music. Not tipping. Black bubble coats. Laughing. Cocoa butter. Carmex. Roasting people. Bad grammar. Escalade. Black Santa Christmas decoration. Tim's being loud and obnoxious at the movie theater. Glow up challenges. Any HBCU. The movie White Chick. Wearing white beaters. Seeing black families win on Family Feud. Anything Migos. When Drake releases new music. Bill Clinton. DJing. Talking about how much money they get. Using the word nigga excessively. Yes, yes. Continue, oh great niggerologist. Enlighten us. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Latrice Ross. Can black people handle the truth about themselves? As we're digging into this dialogue, I got another caller out there, but I want to say a couple things. Uh, well, one thing that I specifically wanted to mention in the last segment that I didn't get to, just to share, uh, there's this meme. I want to hear your thoughts on Latrice, and then we'll go to the caller. Um, there's another meme. Again, just I'm going to move on to some of these stereotypes. But um, there's a meme that floats around on social media constantly, and it's, it's some aspect of, um, I guess, selling a hot dog. And they're saying, the, I think the price was like $3.63 for a hot dog or something like that or whatever. And they on the meme, it has an Asian per, a black person getting ready to buy it, and the Asian person selling it, and the black person buys it. The white person selling it, the black person buys it. And then when the black person sells it, it suggests that the black person has a whole bunch of, you know, to say about the price being too high, even though it's the same price as the Asian or, you know, other white Americans or the or the Hispanic person. That's how the meme is. Like, it's a very popular meme that just I've constantly seen over the years. And um, it, it runs me hot because, as you said, there's plenty of data, for example, of where we are in a sense the most supportive. The example I love to highlight when I, for example, when I've done the show on um, the Buying Black Manifesto, and there's more examples like this, but one of my favorite ones to highlight is uh, one of the most amazing events that that we used to have in Atlanta, and hopefully the returns kind of, they shut it down, I guess, during the pandemic, but it's the Village Market. And it's an amazing marketplace that they do once they were doing we're doing every once every quarter and I would go every quarter and basically it would be like sixty to eighty black owned vendors. That's you know, that's who they would allow to come into the market. And it was so amazing. And to go to the village market there's an entry fee. 
And I always highlight this example and said that the Lenox Mall here in Atlanta, as popular as it is, and you can go there, and that's kind of what people, the celebrities, sometimes will go. Phipps Plaza and Lenox Malls are kind of like those malls, and people love to go get their, you know, stuff at that mall, um, you know, African-Americans, you know, in particular here in Atlanta. I said, if Lenox would start charge the fee to come shop with them, we would not go to that mall. We would not go to that mall if we it charged a fee to go into that mall. I'm highlighting this analogy to explain that our desire to shop with our own is so high that every quarter we fill that place up with thousands and thousands of us to have an opportunity to get and just simply shop with our own. That's one example, and there's plenty more throughout the country and obviously plenty of more here in Atlanta. That's the reality when someone has done business correctly, marketed correctly, we can't wait to spend with ourselves. It's a reality. That meme is such BS because nobody's sitting here going, you charge the same price and not getting it because it's the, and it's the same price as anywhere else. That is not, there's no truth to that meme, but we accept it about ourselves. Go ahead, Queen. Um, I feel the same way. It, it When I see those things, I get angry because we are, in my opinion, and perhaps my, my perspective is jaded because of the work that I do, but we're doing the work of white supremacists ourselves because we are perpetuating stereotypes that aren't accurate, aren't true, and depict us in negative and harmful ways. And it's it's beyond time to begin to look at our community through a new lens. Um seeing it for what it really is and, and how we really are instead of just taking sound bites, taking memes, and because it's something like, oh, this sounds good, well, let me dig a little further and let me see if this is actually true. You know, we don't take that purview, but we just believe um, those types of, of negative comments. You know, something that, that that's really bothered me that happened during the pandemic with, with the um, – with the um, the money that was sent out from the government um, is that people were complaining about people not taking that money starting businesses. And, I'm, you know, and I've gone through the, the comments with folk and, and talked to people. Do you recognize that people were out of work? They were trying to maintain right. their households, keep, their, right. keep food in the fridge, buy clothes for their kids, get the medications that they need. They didn't have time to start a business. And someone, you know, they, there was this meme going around where they totaled up the full amount plus the max amount of unemployment, and it came up to, some, you know, like $20,000 or something. But it, within that, they had bills to pay, rent to pay, mortgage to pay, food to buy, medications to buy, car insurance to keep, just so many things. But we just, instead of looking at it from a perspective is that where they were able to maintain we take it to the negative. Well, why didn't they do this to change their lives? Yeah, all we go why to the extreme. Why does it always have to be about that? All we go to the extreme, uh, to the to the people who did hustle it and who did take advantage of it based on their circumstances. Well, I know somebody who just went and balled out with it or went on, you know, this type of thing or whatever. Is like, okay, yeah. but you act like that's what the majority of people done when reality is they still have rent to pay, they still have bills to pay, and then then even let's go one step further, and I'll go to the caller, and one step further is 
when you had that period where they extended some of that money, right? And you had people, and you had to talk about people in America say, hey, people in it wasn't even black people, this right here, but this just happened. Like, it was just America. People don't want to work. People don't want to work putting in the correct perspective that wages have not kept up with inflation for so long that you damn right I'm going to collect a check before you pay me $8 an hour. Before you pay me eleven dollars an hour, when yes, I can abide better on this check and do better for myself. And some people did take an online class with that money and set themselves up even for when they did return to work or put themselves in a position to get a higher wage based on what they learn. So, so there's the extreme of people that hustle it. There's also people that do do that kind of stuff. But we just assume mm-hmm. the worst of ourselves. Let's go to a caller. Yep. Area code eight six four last three two four four. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion. Hey, what's going on? It's Equani. Uh What's going on, uh, show Black Socrates, everybody. Hey, how you doing, Equani? Glad um, to have you back in. Came been a while. Thanks for calling in. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, I just want to tap in on the discussion. Now, this is a, a thing that kind of, you know, tickled me a little bit. Um, when you were speaking about Meek Mill and, you know, his truth, and I saw that set, that, that very same thing, and sometimes associated it with maybe the talented pimp, or associating it with certain boule type groups where, you know, they want to see if you're the chosen one in order to give you accesses. You understand? Because those are the gatekeepers the majority of the time, whether it be the Masons, whether it be the Greek sororities, the Greek fraternities. We understand this. These are all cultures that we have participated in inside European walks of life in order to now hold uh, some level of position. This is what I found in my walk a lot of times. So even when looking at Meek Mill, I find it funny that he is saying this when I see him with a lot of these billionaires, right? I see him acting as if what what what, what they call the coon. You know, I think he had lost the bet to one of the white guys and he was doing the bunny hop. Uh, and then he was out with another white guy, as you were talking about, this black man that has these friendships or these partnerships with these wealthy white men. Sometimes what is the extreme or the extent they have to go through or to in order to just, even with Kanye being a $10 billion man, right? We do understand that. But what we see in his public uh, image is a frail black man, right? Being somewhat incompetent, being able to deal with a lot of his organic problems, right? And so, like I said, I think that is going to be the true and genuine way. This is, we're in the month of black history, and not many black folk are talking about black history. We can't celebrate our dollar. We aren't going to be able to celebrate our education. Any of our systems that are supposed to progress us and move us forward, if we don't have a level of concrete, substantial historical connection. You understand? Uh, I, I know one of our practices in African spirituality is lifting up your ancestors or basically taking time to support the unseen. You understand? This is the same thing that we have to do with this unseen connection with each other. We have to feed into that. We have to appreciate it and support it. Even though we've never saw it, that's what it's going to take in order to really genuinely get us there. So, man, so salute to all the people that are giving back. 
you know, the brothers and sisters, the entertainers that are doing, making deals, working together, even with the uh, the, the Eminem, not the Eminem, but the, uh, the death row thing, um, you know, they had at the Super Bowl. To me, I feel like that was great for hip-hop. You know, I feel like that was great for black folk. You know, us as business owners, us as the rappers, the producers in hip-hop. So now let's advance it. Let's start selling them white folks' music. Music. Let's start creating our businesses and infrastructures of what we saw. You understand? Um, at that time, so so you know, I'm definitely all with that, brother. All right, thanks a lot for your three cents, uh, brother Equani. Um, I'll say to you, you got about yes, a minute sir. before break. Again, the goal here today is can we handle the truth about ourselves? And even I'll even try to advance a little about a little of what I just heard this brother. Uh, economy out of South Carolina say, well, no, I'll advance it to the extent that the, the level to truly get to is that that everybody, as you advance, are allowed to make connections via whatever value you see necessary in a sense for your family. And what happens is plenty of people in this country specifically, as they gain wealth, they give back. They give back in plenty of ways. Uh, you know, I have a you know a great friend here, Kevin King or whatever, who's actually running for senator here in Georgia. Um, hoping to get him on the show, uh, but he does extremely well for himself. And uh, you know, as, as I, I go back to the J.R. Uh, Smith example at the beginning of the show, when he highlights, you know, why can't these certain athletes come together to you know build this facility? Well, I highlight Kevin because. He's put up a facility where he's from for the kids to play and go, you know, and basically have great facilities versus what they had before. He, you know, when he grew up playing there, and that's something that he's provided personally as himself because we do it all the time. Like you said, Latrice, we look at one situation based on what, you know, it makes sense what J.R. Smith is saying, but if he were to talk to those athletes, they are probably like a Kevin King. You've asked what they've done back home. It's probably a lot. They might have the facility. You know what I mean? Again, I know that he says they're all L.A. guys, but it might be in their, their neighborhood. You know what I'm saying? It may, you know, you, you know, you're talking about competing with a UCLA who's making way more money than they ever make it, right, to have that gym up based mm-hmm. on how that business, a college business is set up. You want to compete with a gym that is kind of set up through public subsidy. Like, it's just the dialogue is just, it's not thought out. It's just saying we don't come together. We don't have the mindset, and it's not realistic based on how those things happen. We're up against the break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. If you want to get in on the call this morning, you do have to press 1. If you're online, the number to get in is 646-787-1691. Seven eight seven one six nine one. You have to press one to let us know you want to speak. We'll be right back. Are you intimidated by money? Why, this is a question most people never think to ask themselves. But when forced to think about it, many people realize they have unrecognized fears that truly affect how they deal with money. If you want to learn more about money and the fears that keep you from prosperity, join us for Making Money Matter Mondays, where money meets mental health with personal finance coach. Ashley Thomas, and psychotherapist, Dr. Katrina Pitt. Every second Monday of the month, find out if you're intimidated by money, what to do about it. To receive a link to this free Zoom event, please DM the Making Money Matter or the Mental Dialogue Instagram pages or contact 404-604-9477. 
the media pushes this narrative about black death and there's always this argument, even within our own community, of whether we care about black-on-black murders or not. And I'm sitting here going, we lose 60000 to COVID, and we're told to be concerned with this 30% increase, which is a real thing. But it's a real thing in the neighborhoods that it's happening in. But we take it on as a collective as if we're having this problem. I understand that there was a rise in murders in Chicago. There's been a slight uptick of murders in Atlanta. When I say slight, if you, if I gave you the numbers, it's not a real uptick compared to previous to the pandemic. It's a small uptick. But in Atlanta, we don't live in a high murder rate city. Let's just keep it a buck. But we will we will hear something happen. We will hear Nipsey Hussle get killed in L.A. And I heard people in Atlanta talking about why we always kill ourselves. Well, it's 1% of the L.A. population that's involved in gangs. So 99% of the L.A. population is not. So how is that black people killing themselves? You understand what I'm saying? So I want to just say, hey, we got this other number that we can just be real dismissive of. The COVID number, you know, we had, what, 75,000, I think, deaths now. But in the first year, it was 60,000. We don't even think about that number. But we have our community out here arguing over something that 99.99% of the community will never be involved in, which is a murder. So that's the, the dialogue I'm really trying to have versus focusing on COVID. I'm just showing how we can be dismissed with the high number, and, and we accept the narrative of black-on-black murder when all it really is is there are areas that have high crime. It should be no race associated with high crime's area. It should be called what it is. Black people don't have a problem with black murder as far as having a problem with it, and we are concerned. I've never seen a, a murder happen that a, the few that I know of that everybody in the community wasn't concerned and upset that it happened. But if that criminal is up, you know, apprehended and sentenced fairly and sentenced to jail, there ain't going to be no protest for somebody that's about to go to jail. Like, people really have this misconstrued idea of what concern is, and the concern shows up in the work of a teacher taking a lesser salary to ensure that students don't become one of those statistics. Go ahead, King. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. This morning's discussion question, can black people handle the truth about themselves? My special guest co-host is Latrice Ross. As you just heard a cut from my new show, the Just My Three Cents 30-Minute Rapid Fire Podcast, we do every Wednesday night, typically sometimes on Thursday, but Wednesday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So Latrice, in the beginning, you say, hey, this is one of my issues, and we just talked about it as I was specifically on that show going through a lot of the data and just to give clarity for somebody just now tuning in um, the 60,000 COVID deaths I was talking about are African-Americans specifically, um, you know, of which, you know, I highlighted this on the show. So I, I like to give this clarity just to give again, while I was making the comparison, uh, we know 80% of those were 65 and up, but there's still another 12,000 just using those rough numbers that were under 65. So we, we will, Sit up and act. We will sit up as a culture and as a community and say we don't care about black on black murder because unfortunately there was a 30% increase this past year around the country and there were 9,913 people murdered. That is not to be dismissive of that number at all. But to a degree, as I said on that show, half the country gives a damn about the COVID numbers and about half the country doesn't based on the politicization of that, you know, that particular topic. But if we could be dismissive of 60,000 deaths, then 
we're, we, we will actually prop up black murder as if it's more than that or higher than what happened that's happening as we speak with COVID because around the country, you know, that's been 900,000 deaths when you include all cultures and all races. Your thoughts, Queen, and then we're going to go to a caller. Um, what I, what I ask, it, that's a perfect example of, of internalized racism um, because we're victimized by it. We internalize it, and then we in turn develop those um, that support those thoughts that that place us in a negative light. Um, and this own, this internalized racism has its own system of oppression within our community. I see it on social media, day in, day out. Black people need to do this, and black people need to stop doing this. Um, and, and even and I'll even ask, can we deal? Can we can we stop blaming the victim? And let's deal with the oppressors that are creating these situations. Someone was talking about weight loss and, and black people need to do this and do that and start eating healthier. Well, when 98% of black people live in food, I'm sorry, 95% of black people live in food deserts, how are they able to do that when they don't have in close proximity access to healthy food? And what they do have access to, they pay the black tax. It's it's extremely expensive. Hey, let me and jump so in on this real quick. Let me jump in. I want to I want to highlight this because I saw this just a couple of weeks ago. I didn't even know this would come up, but I had a, a an example of what you're just talking about. The idea of the food desert, right? And so I saw this sister on social media. Um, she's on a real dedicated um, weight loss thing or whatever, right? And so based on I guess what her business is, she she doesn't live in one of those communities with a food desert, but she was highlighting. Um, specifically that when she goes to those convenience stores, she can still pick out healthy options. She was highlighting that that was still an op- you know, something that could be done. So she didn't want to, for example, hear what you just said as some type of an excuse. And I didn't, I, I didn't choose to dev in because it was social media and I didn't know her, so I didn't jump in. But I, I thought to myself, I said, if I could speak with her, I would go, um, well, you do realize you went into the convenience store. There's not a... Uh, you know, necessarily a grocer there to a degree, they're paying way more money for that healthy option in that convenience store. And the people that live in this neighborhood, you don't live here, don't have the money that you have. So, yes, could they do it one time? But would you expect them to sustain themselves on convenience store foods, which is what happens in food deserts? quite often. So I just wanted to add that context because this sister was saying, well, I still found healthy options because she's not putting in perspective that that one-time buying of some pistachios in that convenience store was pennies for her. And I'm not saying it's expensive for the person that lives in that neighborhood at one time, but to expect them to sustain themselves on convenience store prices, which are three to 10 times higher than they would be in a grocery store, this, it's just perspective lacking and dogging out our people because, yes, people forget. They, they forget they've gotten to a different mindset on their own journey, and they forget that others have to go through that process too. Go ahead, Queen. Absolutely. I mean, that's where I was going. We, You can't expect a person to feed a family healthy, healthy food from a convenience store. Not at the cost of, of that things, you know, when I go through neighborhoods that, you know, I'm popping in at a convenience store, I walk out with three items and I'm, my, my wallet is $10, $12, $15 empty, depending on what I'm walking out with. You know, a banana will cost $2, one banana. It, it, that's crazy. 
a, a, you know, pistachios will cost three or four dollars. You know, we have to take things in perspective. We, we we look at what black people aren't doing, and we highlight what we believe black people aren't doing or what they need to be doing. But we're not looking at the root cause of what's creating that scenario for them to even be in that situation. And I think nope. if we begin to peel back the layers and look at the root cause of these issues that we are experiencing, that we get so self-righteous and indignant about, we might have a different perspective about what they need to be doing. And here's the, yeah, they're not only a different perspective, but that's where, that's where the solution is. As, right. as I quite often say is, we sit up here and go back and forth and argue over the results, but disregard how it happened. If you start with how it happened, you might come up with a better solution versus, like you said, being self-righteous. Like I said on last week's show, again, this was prompted. I said, we just simply need to teach. We, we're teaching and talking shit. And I'm like, how do you learn from a teacher who basically, you know, insults you and then gives you the lesson? Like, we, that's what we're mm-hmm. doing out here. Let me go to these callers. Area code seven zero four last three eight one one. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion question. Area code seven zero four. You're live on the air. Hey, it's tomorrow, Marlene. How are you? Hey, how you doing, Queen? What you got for us this morning? All right, yeah, I just oh, it's cool. We just touched bases on social media. And we and you was talking about this very thing. Is is I think what we're alluding, what we're going to now is the empathy to get to some results because that's what's quite often lacking. People are getting and changing their own personal mindsets and learning good information, and our mindset is to dog our people out for not getting where you've already gotten for getting your journey. Empathy is a main th- is a big thing, and that's something that you were pointing out on your page the other night, and that's why we connected. So thank you for calling in, Queen. Yeah, that whole situation um, basically was um, where uh, – in a group, a guy was getting upset because a lot of people were not on when he went live, and I get that, but in the end of the day, and and it's crazy for me because a lot of people are like, well, he doesn't have to do this, he doesn't have to do that. I get all that. I get it's his time. I'm not asking people to, to set their time on our time and all that stuff, but my thing is we can't hold people accountable for something that's beyond their control. So you post up, okay, get on in 15 minutes, and you get Hey, Queen, Queen, hold on real, real quick, tell me if we will. we got to give people a little more context because we've got listeners. So, um, And I don't want, if you will, I don't want to necessarily go specific because your, your bigger point. Right, I don't want to go saying. specific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The bigger point of what you're saying is what matters for this conversation. So I'm just trying to, because right now people don't know exactly what you're talking about, so let me give a little context right. and, and your bigger point. So basically, um, and again, it's kind of what we're talking about now. Somebody has information that can help people or whatever. And so you're just basically saying the person that set that up based on how they marketed it, they was upset that people wasn't available. And to your bigger point, yeah, but to your bigger point, even with better marketing, regardless of who shows up, if you will, the bigger point is at the end of the day, people may not one always have the capacity. And while it may be great information at the end of the day, you, how, how can you be indignant towards people without understanding their circumstances. And quite often, 
it's the it's that attitude that makes them not resonate to want to hear from you anyway. Just to throw that out, we're at the top of the hour, Queen. Right. So exactly. I'll, give you a, a, exactly. I'll give you about a minute response. We're gonna go to a break, and I can bring you back on. I also have some other callers. We're just at the top of the hour, so I'm gonna give you one response to that. If you can make it quick, and then I'll get you back on as well. Okay. Yeah, because I really actually was going to talk about something else in reference to when you were talking about shopping with um for blacks um. So, but yeah, in that context for that situation, it was it was just that I had actually caught it, and but I didn't like the tone for those that didn't because a lot of people felt upset that they were being chastised. So that was my only thing in that was um, how can you chastise people when they really generally didn't know? I could see if they all knew or whatever. So, and like you said, some people are turned off at this point in time. And that's a sad thing because there are jewels, and then to just be nonchalant and say, well, then it wasn't meant for them, it's kind of like, really? <laughs> you right. know, for me, that, that. Yeah, absolutely. Need to value the time the people that gave it. That's where you're, that's who gave you your time. Respect the time, the fact that they gave you their time. Have respect for that. We're at the top of the hour, Queen. I will bring you back after this break for you to talk about the other issue real quick. All I ask okay. is what you think. Hey, where did you get that hat and T-shirt? I like that. Oh, I got this at MoneyMotivation.com. It's fresh, right? Yes, and I love the message on it, too. You are the hustle, huh? That's what the shirt says. I am the hustle. They embody the entrepreneurial spirit, and what I like the most, it's more than a brand. It's a lifestyle for those who want to put in the work and expect to have the final things in life. I also follow them on Instagram. Check this post out. If you believe money is the root of all evil, you're using it wrong? Or how about this one? Excuses made $0 an hour. I like those. What's their IG? At moneymotivation.co. But do they have any ladies gear? Yes, you're going to love the clothing line they got for the ladies. Matter of fact, pull up their website, moneymotivation.com, and I'm going to get you a few things so we can both look like money. Everywhere I go, go. And everywhere I be, be. I don't even talk, talk. They still go with me. Because I look like money. Smell like money. Talk like money. Even walk like money. When you're black, you have to deal with so much crap in your life from other black people. Uh, it's, it's a dirty, dark secret. I'm glad it's coming out. For some reason, we are brainwashed to think if you're not a thug or an idiot, you're not black enough. If you go to school, make good grades, speak intelligent, and don't break the law, you're not a good black person. And it's a dirty, dark secret, Anthony. Listen, I, I hate to bring white people into our crap, but as a black person, we all go through it when you're successful. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> Lord, Lord. Kara, he was talking about uh, an African-American quarterback, and he said that. Uh, now, again, I don't even know if the reports are true. He was saying that about Russell Wilson. He said Russell Wilson, um, members of his team don't think he's black enough, and they don't like him. I don't know. That's not our reporting. Mm -hmm. But he certainly caused a firestorm. What do you make of, of his comments? Well, I mean, that, that's Charles Barkley. He's known to, uh, to cause controversy and be very frank in his words. He definitely doesn't mince words. But, I mean, I may not have worded it the way he did, but I understand where he's coming from. I mean, if you, I, I, the most racism I ever experienced in my life came from 
people in the black community from the time I was a little girl because I was light-skinned, because I have light eyes, because I speak differently, because I'm educated. It was ridiculous. And if you go to my Twitter feed after the show, you're going to see all of the most disgusting, vile things predominantly coming from black folks. And I think that that's unfortunate. It's a sad commentary, and it's something that, you know, Van Mayer may not disagree, but I can go based off of my own personal experiences, but that is a very real thing. The crabs in the barrel aspect... I see a difference in well, the crab in the barrel syndrome is definitely, it exists. Okay. There may be other parts of it that doesn't happen to everyone, but it exists. And I think Charles Barkley was uh, brave in actually mentioning it. I, I, I understand Go where ahead, it comes Van. from with that. It's real. I, I, look, listen, I, I see it differently. Look, I, I don't think uh, African Americans are unique in having some, you know, some jealous, hateful people in the community. But I tell you, my experience is wherever I go, African Americans are proud that I have an Ivy League uh, education. I've done well. I get a lot of attaboys and a lot of, a lot of you goes. From a lot of people, and you always have a few. But I, what I am concerned about are the people who overreact to the few and then spread stereotypes themselves about our community. The biggest obstacles in our community are not a few hateful crabs in the barrel. We have big obstacles like a, a, a prison system that's out of control, arresting way too many African Americans who do the same a level of crime as whites when it comes to. Welcome back to the Mr. Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Latrice Ross. This morning's discussion question, can black people handle the truth about themselves? Got a couple of callers out there. We will get to you. If you're on the line and want to get in, you do have to press one. wanted to highlight this real quick, Latrice, before we go back to the caller. So as I listen to that cut, I hear a lot of truth from, truth from all perspectives. I hear truth in what Charles Barkley said. I hear truth in what the, the lady said, and I heard truth in um, what the man the, the, the man said in, on that cut or whatever. Um, and and I'm highlighting this because you and I both always we always talk about the concept of dialogue. Typically today takes place in the extremes, and people are kind of one side or the other. So people may have heard that cut and have and chose a side, whereas I listened to that cut. And here's how I dissect it. I want to hear your thoughts, and then we'll go to the caller. So, you know, I think um, to a degree, as the, as the young lady said, Charles Buckley, in a sense, has a way of thing, you know, saying things and pulling no punches. But her real-life experience as a light-skinned black woman was very real, and we constantly talk about how that happens. So when I hear Van Jones respond to the young lady, his first thing is what, like we talked about earlier, he gave his in my opinion, anecdotal, relative ex- personal experience to kind of dismiss, well, to a degree, it would be hard to argue that what that young lady said ain't something that we know happens in the black community. But his attaboys, people were proud of him going to, if you will, to, to, to go to an Ivy League school. So that wasn't his experience. So he took his one relative experience almost as if to dismiss what she said and then goes into something that I thought was very important to this conversation is we will see something that a few people do and apply it across the board. And then he ended it with something that is definitely a personal soapbox of mine, which I always talk about how, the, in a sense, the prison industrial complex gets away 
with a lot of the root cause issues that is created in our community because we don't like dialoguing about prisoners, if you will. Uh, I always like to highlight as much as we point out the welfare system and what it did, you know, in a sense in the 50s, with, you know, to a degree with the man being out of the home. And, and I always like to clarify because I like to say things accurately. It wasn't necessarily that the welfare system set it up for, the, in a sense, the man to be out of the home. It's their poverty levels. Basically, there could not be two incomes in a home and you still receive assistance. The way it played out with the workers was ensuring if there was a man had to have income in the home, they would make sure you were following that statute. So it did play out that way, but it wasn't necessarily the intentions of the program. I just like to highlight that accuracy for this reason, because what did take way more men out of the household is the so-called drug war that we talked about on Wednesday that Richard Nixon started, and basically people start going to jail more for drugs and all other crimes. That took a lot of men out of the household, hold, even if it was for only temporarily, and even at the return, if there's a felony on your record, it becomes harder to get um, jobs. So I feel like the prison industrial complex escapes a lot of the root cause of some of the issues that we're even talking about today. Your thoughts, Queen? I know I said a lot, but I'll let you jump in, and then we'll go back to um, Tamara, the caller, and the caller after her. Now, my my perspective is is actually the same as yours. You know, Charles Barkley is he? You know, I think that's just a part of his shtick to be divisive that way and just say things bluntly, and that's cool. We we expect that from him. Um, she shared her experience. Um, and, and she even shared that you can go to Twitter and see um, folks responding to her that way. And, and I guess that was Van Jones was dismissive of of her her statements. And he did come to a, a greater point that is definitely a problem, and that's the prison industrial complex. Um, but I do think that we need to well, – well, while every community has issues, and the black community is no different, um, but we do have that concept, and it's, it's, present, it's present in the Latina community, it's present in the Native American community, that concept of, of internalized racism. Because we are victimized by it, because we are oppressed by it, we don't want to be defined by it. And so in, in one way that we don't, that we allow ourselves not to define ourselves by that is by looking down or, or, or incorporating that type of racism in how we respond to situations. Um, my mother raised me to think that way. Um, if you're not, if, you know, black people aren't successful, it's because they're just lazy. That was a constant thing that she told me right growing up. That's not necessarily true. There are lots of hindrances and, and, and headwinds that black people encounter on the path, but she made this generalized statement that if black people aren't successful, it's because they're lazy. They didn't go to school, get good grades, go to college, get good grades, and get a good J-O-B. And um, I had to unlearn those thoughts and behaviors because they were not benefiting me. But there are so many who were raised that way and who still believe that way and who will recite the what about, the what about-ism when we're talking about issues that um, are part of the systemic issues that continue to hold the black community down. They'll bring up the what about-ism thinking that these are issues that black folks should have resolved by now, not recognizing that the root cause of these whataboutism actually lies in the systems of oppression that have been built into the very way that this country runs. No, absolutely. And let me highlight this before I go back to Tamara, um, just because it's just a good good opportunity. So a lot of the whataboutisms are, or, or the generalization, I should say, more so. A lot of the generations 
also are rooted in fake narratives or false narratives. So the concept mm-hmm. of being lazy, just to highlight the history behind that concept, right? Um, I got this from, um, you know, reading W. Du Bois' writings or whatever. Um, but the concept of African-Americans, even the concept of being lazy, here's where it, the root, where it, where it derives from. So after it was clearly we were in enslavement, right? Well, a lot of our ancestors were, if you will, were in enslavement. And so there was partly the concept of, um, to a degree, is you would have to be hard on them because you would have to make them do the work or whatever. Because, you know, um, despite what people may think, our ancestors were consistently resisting, even in, you know, even while being enslaved, if you will. And some of that included, um, you know, not doing as much as, the, in a sense, um, whoever you know, whoever had them enslaved, wanted, if you will, or whatever. And so there was this concept amongst the few people that were slave masters, because most people were not, right? There was this concept that, um, you know, most whites were not. It was about ten percent of whites, but they would say we have to, you have to drive them hard. So there was this idea they would say because they're lazy. So it was driven amongst the upper class of those who had enslaved that they were lazy from that standpoint. Then enslavement ends. So when it ends, what happened was, unfortunately, most people don't know about, you know, the, well, they don't know all the details behind sharecropping, which a lot of our ancestors end up staying on those same plantations versus a lot did move to the north and navigate to get out of the south, but the majority of them stayed and stayed right on those same um, plantations due to not having any means, and so they would end up being sharecroppers. Well, basically, it didn't really change much, much for our for our ancestors outside of they would get a share of the crop, not necessarily get paid or whatever. And so basically the habits they had in a sense during enslavement where when you were working completely for free, it ain't the same as I'm working and I'm getting an exchange value and I'm going to do the best job I can because I'm getting something too. So that habit doesn't change. We're going to, we got to work every day, all day. So we're minimizing our work and to a degree um, the example that DeBose talked about was seeing some uh, African Americans who were on the back of a truck and they, the hay that they were doing a hay, I think it was a hay truck, a hay, hay or whatever, and it was some of them just falling off the truck. And he was saying um, those African Americans didn't give a care about it falling off the truck because they had just came out of in a situation where why would they care about the hay? It wasn't theirs. None of it was theirs prior to the enslavement period. So, so basically. Whites will look at that and say, look at them as lazy, despite the fact that we were the skilled class, and years later, when the Industrial Revolution took place and we started moving into industry, people that most people don't know the history, that unions were created to keep us out of the work workplace because we were the only skilled laborers. So, so the culture gets wrapped with the concept of lazy, but then when the Industrial Revolution takes place and we're moving from agriculture to industry, industry, now those same white people that were calling us lazy formed unions to keep us out because they didn't want us working for smaller wages because we were willing to because Af- our community wanted to work for themselves. And so they was like, they're going to cut the wages, so they put up unions to not allow us in, plus we were the skilled class. So one thought on that, and we're going to Tamara. Um, it, 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 like I said before, we continue to perpetuate these these white supremacist beliefs 
and and practices by indulging in those types of, of comments and stereotypes. And we do it, I understand the place from which we do it, but we need to understand that when we engage in that, there needs to be an intentional pause so that we can, you know, engage in what's called racial healing. We need to understand what that means and take the time to do that within ourselves because we have to stop perpetuating within our own community those those fallacies because when we do that, it gives it to white people, it adds power to their beliefs, and we need to stop adding that power. Yeah, they needed us to be labeled lazy to form those unions and keep us out of the mm-hmm. workspace. That's the origins yep. of a narrative that is stuck with us. And here's the psychology for our own community. Um, Tamara, we're up against the break, so I'm going to have to get you after the break, Queen. Sorry about that. But I wanted to highlight the psychology. So to a degree, the majority of our community, to a degree, could spend a long time, and while some of the ancestors were fortunate enough to own things, the majority of our community could not. So there is a psychological perspective to never be having ownership, right? And so even to this day, this is how narratives turn into actual action. So there is an aspect. We heard those stereotypes in the first hour. Um, so the stereotype of, you know, we go to a job, and so you could be criticized if you go to the job and go above and beyond, even though you're working for somebody else's money, right? You as an African-American will be criticized by other Americans because the psychology of that's passed down is this is not your stuff. And so that same shiftlessness of those, you know, former slaves now on the back of a truck letting hay fall off, there is an aspect of it being passed down because you're not working for yourself. It's not ownership. You're working for others. And so we've, as you said, accepted these things about ourselves so much that when somebody comes on the job and goes above beyond, we call them brown nose or, or, or things of this nature. So the psychological effects of it are super, super deep. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. LNG Technology Services, we are your industry leader in aircraft and heavy equipment repair services. In commercial business for over 15 years, LNG technicians have over 150 years of equipment-specific knowledge and are known industry-wide for returning worn-out, broken, and overused ground support equipment back to the user in working better than new conditions. For a service job done right at a value unparalleled in the industry, contact LNG Technology Services at 478 781 4860. Again, for a service job done right, that number is 478-781-4860. LNG Technologies is a Mental Dialogue Gold member and proud sponsor of the Mental Dialogue community. You know, that whole white supremacy shit, the most dangerous white supremacy, I feel, is the white supremacy that black people feel is justified. That's tricky. I'll say it like this. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, well, I mean, what what do you expect? Like, I think like this. I mean, I was just recently seeing how people were affected by this Columbine stuff and how, you know, the children of the Columbine survivors are affected. There's this trauma. Oh, my God. This, you know, this has happened to them. Think about 400 years of some goddamn trauma, right? Yeah. Um, How you're taught to hate yourself Mm -hmm. for so long. And, you know, 
you think that the the white water is better than the black fountain because you've been ingrained in that. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Latrice Ross. Can black people handle the truth about themselves? Let's go to the callers. Tamara, make it quick. I got a couple callers after you, Queen, but I definitely want to get you to your other thought or wherever you want to go. But thanks for um, being patient and waiting um, on the call with us. Oh, no problem. Yeah, I guess since I'm a business owner, when you talk about business, that's my thing. So I just wanted to mention how um, the other flip side about shopping uh, with black uh, businesses, one thing that drives me absolutely nuts, and I see it across so many groups with thousands and thousands of people, someone always posts, See, this is why I try to shop black, but, <laughs> you know, and I just, right. that really irritates my soul because there are, we're not the only ones that mess up. Customer service, everybody across the board needs to work on customer service, point blank, blank period, regardless of the race. And I think we need to take that out. And a lot of times we won't provide feedback to our businesses, but we're small businesses. We're grown. We need to have that feedback, you know, but we're quick to bash Walmart, but we'll still keep going to Walmart, you know what I'm saying? But it's always fun to say, well, I try to, and um, and then to piggyback off of that, when you were talking about the government giving out money with the PPP loans, I saw a lot of people joking about it, saying, oh, y'all going to go to jail and this, that, and the other, automatically assuming that the black business owners automatically committed some type of fraud to get the money that they got. And if you look at the numbers, majority of the fraud was not us, and majority of people who got the money through loopholes were a lot of major businesses that we would never consider small, but, of course, by government definition, they did to get the money. You know, like Kanye's company got some of the PPP money, knowing that it should have gone to your mom-and-pop store down the street. You know, but a lot of people was like, oh, Lucretia's about to go to jail and all that stuff. So those are two things that just really irk my nerves when it comes to us as a people. And yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, uh, no, I respect it. Uh, Latrice, I'll let you jump in before we go to another caller. Any response to Tamara? Okay. Yeah, we, we do. Some of us do have an issue when there is something that goes wrong with a black business. We will say, I'm never doing this, or our black businesses do that. And I actually had a, a conversation with my BFF about that very same thing. And I asked her, did you give your this business feedback? And she had not. And I said, well, you complain about your Walmart, but you go there every week, multiple times during the week. So you have to give them the same courtesy as you do a Walmart who has all these systems and procedures and processes in place, whereas a small business owner, many of them are solopreneurs and they're running it alone. They have higher costs because they may not buy things in volume. You have to take things, you know, you have to look at the context of things before making a decision. And she actually went back and explained what happened, and they, they accommodated, they made accommodations to account for the bad interaction that she had. And she actually learned a lesson and came back and said, thank you for sharing that with me. Um, so I, I do agree that we have sometimes a tendency to judge black businesses harder. And actually some, some of the groups that I've been in, they actually say that they have higher expectations from black businesses than they do of the Walmarts and the Kroger's and all of these larger enterprises. And I asked why. 
you're dealing with an organization, a business that has less resources, less people, less processes, less procedures, but these monoliths, these huge organizations, you give a pass to, and they couldn't explain why. Now, it's definitely something to dialogue about. I tell people all the time, you didn't have cold fries from McDonald's, but we still love the McDonald's fries. You know what I mean? So definitely um, something to consider. And, um, you know, and I've had plenty of entrepreneurs on this show. And ultimately, especially within our community, uh, as we talked about, the data shows that we are supportive of, of one another, you know, when and where we can be. You know, and some of that, I mean, not just to even make that a blanket statement. I'll, I'll even show, say this as I always like to make this challenge to even business owners. Um, a lot of times I would say we're great technicians, not necessarily great business people. I'm guilty of this as well. And so it's a process. You're very good at what you do, but it's all kind of things. It could be the market. Marketing, or are you priced right? Are you going after the right market? Are you, uh, you know, going after the cheaper market? Are you going after the high end market? And understanding those things, some business owners will say, "My stuff is for everyone," which is a huge mistake in business, and sometimes be frustrated with who and who does who doesn't um, support without realizing you're competing against business who, you know, these, these major businesses, they have a huge marketing budget. So your stuff could be high quality, but they outmarket you. And I mean, there's so many factors of, of what I'm saying is the leeway that we have to understand that our business owners quite often, as I've had them on the show, they usually are more than ready to remedy an issue in, 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 if you come with them in a sense the correct approach. But most of them are ready to remedy it, sometimes even at a loss, just to maintain the business because being in business is very, very hard. I always like to highlight just to give people perspective, only 11% of the country is full-time entrepreneurs. It only goes up to six, 16% when you include part-time entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurship is a skill set and very unique and it's very difficult to do. And in the reality of uh, in this economy, we're 40, maybe 50, 40, 50 years in into a space where, generally speaking, you're competing with industries that have been around for 50, 100, 200 years. Our processes are coming. Just have that leeway and empathy. Our processes are coming. Area code 571, last three, 237. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion. Two three seven, you're live on the air. Hey, hey, Montoya, this is Emil. How you doing, brother? Hey, how you doing, King? What you got for though? I, I, everybody, just be warned. This is about to be four to five cents right here. Whatever this brother's about to say. Go ahead, King. <laughs> Yo, so this is a great conversation, and and uh, Queen Patrice, you you bring in some heat, Lutries, some nuclear Lutries. heat. Lutries, I'm sorry, Lutries. You're bringing some nuclear heat with the conversation about root cause analysis. What I want us to always remember as black people that we struggle with is it's hard to be black in America, period. And one of the challenges of being black in America is this concept of the crabs in a barrel. Like you got black people who allegedly are trying to pull you down while you're trying to get out the barrel. But I always ask the question, back to Latrice's point of root cause, why the hell are we in the barrel? There's a problem with the thought that we're supposed to be in a barrel and the people who are trying to get out are somehow um, being dragged down by the people who are still in. The problem is the barrel, not the, not the crab. The problem is the barrel, not the crab. And one of the challenges that we have to remember is because it's hard to be black in America, we have multiple definitions of blackness in America. No, I'm from the Pacific Northwest. I speak with a very proper accent. 
I have uh, Ivy League level education, and I was made fun of as a black kid in the hood, right? I was made complete fun of. I have friends who went to all black high-performing high schools in the South. They did not have the same experience as me being a smart black kid in the hood. I have uh, dear friends of mine who grew up in other places who were not in a hood and were the smart black kids. We cannot look at ourselves monolithically. We have to allow ourselves to be a multi-faceted uh, people with multifaceted experiences. And the moment we do, we understand that the barrel doesn't look like one thing, and therefore we can start stop talking about why we are pulling each other down and start asking, what the hell is this barrel, and why are we in it? Hey, love it, Ken. Um, you said something that was so important. All No groups are monoliths. The social construct of race is even while we speak this way, talk this way. And I remember one meme, one thing I put on the Memphis Dialogue IG some years ago that people really loved was, you know what I'm saying, that speaking correct English is very, very black. And people really, really loved it because it's blowing up, busting up this idea of what it, you know, what it means to be black or even what Charles Barkley said at the top of the hour, you know, like, again, that he was speaking some realities to what he's saying, but let's get out of the black enough Olympics. We only have the Olympics because of the barrel and the construct that was given to us. Let's allow ourselves to be human and quit putting expectations on any of us from that standpoint, because believe it or not, other groups don't do what we think they do, and I'll prove it to you here real quickly. Thank you so much for your um, three cents, um, Emil. Got a lot of callers. I'm going to try to go through the callers on this after this next break. So just to kind of prove it in a sense, so because we are this um, melting pot, and I'll get your thoughts as well on the truth before we go to break. Um, because we're this melting pot, we definitely tend to look at other groups and say, well, look at these groups or the Asians or these immigrants or the Jewish or the Hispanic, and we never put it in perspective. Something that, it, that really helped me was um, Thomas Sowell, uh, one of our great conservative voices in our community. He highlighted the, one of the biggest mistakes people make when comparing any group to immigrants. Immigrants around the world are typically very much more successful than people in the locale. That includes uh, Americans, including Black Americans that are you know that go to other parts of the world. They do very well, and typically it's because you're not beset with whatever the local issues are. In this country, it happens to be race. In other countries, it may be. Um, um, classism or whatever the case may be, maybe a religious issue or whatever, but you go there, you're not beset with those issues. And so a lot of times people think it's simply mindset. But the reality that Thomas Sowell broke down to me is people rarely move. And so if you have the ability to move, it's either you have the means or you are the most determined because you may be escaping a bad situation, right? And so if, you know, if you're in one of those types of situations where you know, maybe, you know, there's a war-torn country, the most desperate get out. So you're going to the country, you're basically, basically his point is, this is the ilk of that so-called culture or race. And so um, whoever has the means to move and go somewhere else, they usually are in a better position than those who are locally there, if that makes sense. And so if you never consider that, it is always apple to oranges to compare immigrant propagation populations to um, local populations, regardless of what the issue is, whether that be race, class, religion, um, you know, style of government, whatever the case may be. 
of black Americans do their damn thing outside of America. So it's but we have a blanket that these immigrants are doing better. And the reality is, and when we think that way, so for example, we look at the Asian community just to highlight them real quick, and I'll go to break. Um, we look at them as in a sense this certain level of immigrant. But if 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 cultures did what we say they did, if people use move monolithically like we assume they did, then we couldn't go to their home country and see people that are way poorer than a lot of us as African Americans. So if 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 people were monolithic, then you wouldn't see that where they're from. Does, does that make sense, Latrice? I just want to give you a quick thought. We're going to go to break. Yeah. It, it, it does, and it, honestly, if we disaggregate data about Asians, Asians actually are the lowest paid and the highest paid in this country. But mm-hmm. when you group the, the data together, they're the highest paid. But, you know, you got to start looking at the data disaggregated so that we can see that the individual, the individual um, intersection mm-hmm. of diversity in the Asian community, there are vast, vast differences. And so that, that again, proves we are not monolithic. No, absolutely. Thank you for that thought. When I come out of this break, we're going heavy to callers. So I got a lot of callers where we get in. We're coming straight to y'all out of this break. All I ask is that you think. If you're looking to purchase or sell a home in Atlanta's competitive real estate market, there's only one real estate agent we call on, Ephraim Abdullah. Not only is he honest and straightforward, but he has a proven, repeatable strategy that consistently gets his clients the homes they wanted versus their second or third choice. What's Elfram's secret? His virtual on-the-spot offer moves his clients to the front of the line for purchases and for sales. His no-nonsense approach gets your home sold and off the market. For a results-oriented real estate experience, contact Elfram Abdullah, a licensed agent powered by EXP Realty at 770-800-7922. Again, that number is 770-800-7922. I have to have an inferiority complex if I'm allowed to use the N-word as a badge of honor. Call my people, my women the B-word. I I hold up being player, pimp, all that. Hmm. Really? Now, in my degree, so if I had a very high opinion of myself, why would I... Why would I allow myself to be called that, right? So, so, and then, um, then just the all the things that have worked on us for so long that we then have so much hatred for our own people, right? Yeah, we could make movies and music about killing each other, but you can't do that in any other in any other society, any other culture would you degrade your own people, right? That is an inferiority which makes, by default, other people superior, you know, in your head. That supremacy, that kind of thing, that kind of, you know, wallowing in self-hatred. What does our, what does our comedy look like? The beginnings of our comedy. You so black. Your mama this, your mama. Mm. Look, you know, let's look at, you know, so our music, our comedy, all this stuff is this uplifting of this self-hate. Right now, <laughs> right now, people are hating the hell out of me. 
They just they want to find something to dislike me about. It's ingrained in them. I was the same goddamn way. I remember where you know I would hear things that happened to my another uh, um, actor of my ilk, my my stature, whatever. And be like, you hear about what happened so and so, and realize, wait a minute, there's a little bit of me that's taking enjoyment in that. Fuck that. I got to change that shit. That means that that goddamn conditioning has worked on me. I'm killing that. Oh, hell no. That part needs to die. And so this, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I believe this wholeheartedly. I will not let that conditioning keep infecting my world and my goddamn family. Welcome back to the Mr. Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Latrice Ross. This morning's discussion question, can black people handle the truth about themselves in perfect timing? Um, I got Dr. G, um, psychotherapist, uh, that helps us out with the community checkup coming on right after you hear another cut from Michael J. White, breaking down the perspective. And the thing that I appreciated the most was he realized I thought that way for so long, and once he felt differently, he's committed to not thinking that way any longer. I just highlight as much as anybody listening that can appreciate that aspect. The thing that I appreciated the most was he realized the process. You, some of us, will go through the process, break away from it, and still look down upon those who haven't been through the process. You got the, the grace that he had for himself to get through that process and now be committed to no longer doing it. He has to include that grace, and I hear it even in his comments. He understands. I used to that way. Dr. G, thank you so much for coming on this morning, King Saturday. Keep you in the queue for so long. I got a lot of people trying to get in, and I didn't see your number. But um, thanks a lot, King, for coming on this morning. Um, just wherever you want to jump in at, just please do so, King. Thank you for coming on this morning. Okay, thank you. Thank you for the invitation, and I appreciate it. And I'm definitely um, embracing my brothers and sisters that are on. Yeah, but yeah, about me, I was saying, brother, did you want to respond to anything you just heard? or Dr. G, did I lose you? I may have lost him. Okay, hold on. I think, sorry, I may have lost Dr. G. All right, let me see. Let me get him back on. Yeah, we lost. He dropped off. Let me get him back on. All right, here we go. All right, Doctor G. Yeah, we lost him. Yeah. All right, go ahead. All right, we lost him. He's calling us out of Mexico, y'all. So guess he had a bad connection. All right, we're gonna go to another caller. I'm just gonna bang callers out going going forward. All right, let's see. I already got Tamara, so let's go back. Let me see here who I got. All right, here's a new one. Six seven eight last three zero nine seven. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion. Hey, what's up? Uh, this is Clive out of Atlanta. Hey, what's up, Hello? King? Thanks for calling in this morning. We hear you loud and clear. Give us your three steps right. this morning. Okay, two two points. The first is, um, I would say, as the last statement uh, Michael J. White said, he was talking about coming out of the condition. And we always have to remember whoever has who can recognize what's going on, we have to think of what Jesus said, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. Even though they went to crucify him and everything, he understood their mental condition of where they were at in life and understood that they didn't even understand what they were doing. They were only acting out of this paradigm and psychology that they already had. So that's my first point. And we have to understand, we have to, 
Hmm? I say very important point. Sorry, go ahead, King. I'm sorry. Yeah, very. So that's my first thing. I work with. Uh, she was talking about business, so I employ a lot of people, and having the and being through and having employed, hired, fired, people quit, everything like that. I've seen that same condition of people coming to work for you. It's they'll give the more respect to a white company that they go to respect for, and they think when they come on with you, they they feel like, hey, I should be in that position, or why am I working for him, or why would I look? They I can do what they're doing, you know, and they don't come with the same professionalism that they would come to with at another mm-hmm. company, as I see people working for Walmart or things like that, right. where they're scared of the boss, where they have the respect for the boss, but they see you as their equal or even beneath them, you know, to be like, hey, I don't even think it's fair that they're in this position. I, what, what are they doing that they're sending me out to work and they want to try to act to you as equals, right? Because my style had to change up because I used to be friends with people like, hey, these are my people, you know what I mean? Like I want to, I'm giving them a job. I don't want to be overlording on them and being a boss mm-hmm. on them. But it came to a point where they didn't, where they saw you and they and they had contempt for you, and they were like, "Oh, I shouldn't be doing this." And I had people quitting because of that. They would just be like, "Oh, I'm taking the day off" because they felt like it. They didn't carry any responsibility, any ownership to the job. When I felt like, "Hey, we're all in this together," but mm-hmm. they didn't feel like that. Right. So but here's the beauty of here's the beauty of what you just talked about. Again, this is part of our process of getting into this space. So what happened mm-hmm. is you've become a better boss, if you will, or a better leader due to that experience. Because as you said, some of the mentality that you talked about came into play, right? And you were learning as an entrepreneur that you afford, there was a certain way you have to carry yourself to garner that. And that's really anybody who works for you, right? Regardless of if they're black yeah, or Yeah, yeah, regardless of race or anything like that. Yes, anybody. Yeah, but I'm just pointing out that that was part of your learning curve. You see, that's, that's, the, that's, the, like, that's the grace of you learning and now you're even better because again i applaud you and i know you help other people learn how to go into business i know a little bit about your class i want to highlight that and i appreciate your perspective because we need more people with that perspective but i love you giving that personal experience to say hey here's some a little bit of what i had to learn in that too go ahead i'll give you one last thought we'll go to another caller yeah one last thought is that that's where it comes back to as a business owner and as a person, period, it's extreme ownership. You have to you have to be like, hey, how can I change the situation? You can't look to be like, I gotta change this person or change that person. You have to look to where we are I just feel like as the people who are thinking about these things, how do we create an environment where we can break the barrel? We've gotten out of the barrel, as he was talking about, and how can we help lift those other out of the barrel? We understand it's a difficult proposition. We understand it's very hard, but how can we pave a way for them to get out of the barrel and to enjoy and to lift them and pave that way so they can help navigate that process because it's a very difficult process to navigate. So we have to start with ourselves at all times. That's the only thing we can control to begin with, and that's what we have to process. So that's my three cents on that. No, I love it. All right, I got Brother Kevin trying to get back in. Let me get that brother right. back in as well. All right, thanks a lot, um, Clive. We got All you right, back please. live, mm-hmm. Kevin. What you got for us, King? What's that? Hey, turn that music down, All man. Right. I thought you was listening to us. <laughs> oh, that's your music. Um, yeah, um, y'all sound like me today. <laughs> well, what I'm saying this, King, is this. One of the keys to, to 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 why we act the way we act is because our feel is ownership. When you own something, truly own something, and it's not controlled by other groups outside of yourself. Because when other groups have control of your resources, your money, it makes us play this little game of tit for tat, 
hating on each other because we know there's only a, little, a certain amount of us, you call them tokens, that allow the beast to, you know, get through the system. And you handle each other according to that. When you start owning the resources, you're owning your resources, controlling your resources as a group, then you'll operate just like anybody else does. You'll operate just like anyone else does. So tell you know, me what the other, love, tell me tell me what other groups do because I'm messing with you a little bit because here's the here's a mistake we make, Kevin. One of the mistakes we make is because groups, because groups are not monolithic. So what happens is. Um, I'm not talking about absolute. I'm not talking about absolute. I know you're not. I know you're not. But I just want to highlight this because it, it matters to what we're talking about right now. So what happens is we will see. Let's say, for example, I'll just make. I'll just use a, a kind of a silly example, like Toyota, or whatever. Obviously, they're owned. I think. In, I think that's a Japan company or whatever, and they've made waves here. What in the in and and we say other groups own things. What happens is you've got to keep in mind that re, the reality is in within groups. 10% of people are doing some of what you're talking about, and we end up broad-basing it and giving the other culture saying, hey, they own things. And it's not that we don't own things, and and we, we say ownership from a perspective of not realizing who goes into those positions. Now, we could be smart about our money and have ownership from the standpoint of most of us, for example, are not necessarily geared to be entrepreneurs, but we can own a little stock. We can get financially literate and start learn, learn how to be passive owners and things of that nature. But we have this concept that other groups are owning things in a way that we are not, and it's not fair. When it comes to entrepreneurship, of that, let me say this, let me say this, of that 11%, we're 14% of the entrepreneurs. It's one of the one areas in America where it's more of us involved in our population. And, 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 you know, we talk about getting the STEM, and we're in those areas of 3 to 5%, or there's only 1% of us in the financial industry. We're entrepreneurs, and we don't – and, again, that's speaking to the real numbers. We get into entrepreneurship faster than any other culture other than the Asian culture based on the data in this country. So that's why I'm dialoguing to put what you're saying in perspective. All right. We 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 try right. to own stuff. That's what we do. Okay. Yes, we do. Now here's what I'm here's what I'm saying. See, you tend to deal in the absolute or the uh, the one person. You're gonna pick out the one, the the, the small amount that, that that yeah no 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 you can't say that because we got one person over here. I didn't. I didn't. Hold on, hold on. Let me finish it. No, I'm cutting you off because I the opposite of that. I don't do anecdotal. Let, I just gave you the data. We're 14 percent of all entrepreneurs in the country. Look at. That ain't the anecdote. Yes, that you That's do. the majority oh, no. of the 14% of all yes, entrepreneurs in the country. That's out of one. one. All, right, all right. All right. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. But here's what I'm trying to tell you. See, I'm assuming I'm talking to an intelligent audience that knows a little bit something about this what they see in the street. Radio. In, That's a good assumption. Yeah, exactly. 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 So when I'm speaking, when I'm speaking, I, I know that they understand what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this. Show me all Walmart. Well, I'm not talking about the, all the different businesses, little tiny businesses that you put together all as a so, little thing. So you know, you know Walmart ain't white people, so do you know that, like the, the context of what you're saying. Hey, I'm, I'm messing right? with you. I'm messing with you. We're doing hey, let me do this break. Let me let me, hey, here we go. Here we go. Let me do this break, and I'll let you finish. Let me do this last break, and I'll let you finish. I promise. I promise. All right. All right, y'all. Let me do this last break. Right. Take care of my sponsor, y'all. We'll let me and Calvin do this all the time or whatever. And again, it's, it's within this dialogue with no, this context. 
Yeah, we do this all the time. All right, we'll be right back. Listen <laughs> to the Method Dialogue Talk Show. Well, all I ask is that you think. Are you intimidated by money? Why, this is a question most people never think to ask themselves. But when forced to think about it, many people realize they have unrecognized fears that truly affect how they deal with money. If you want to learn more about money and the fears that keep you from prosperity, join us for Making Money Matter Monday, where money meets mental health with personal finance coach Ashley Thomas and psychotherapist Dr. Katrina Pitt. Every second Monday of the month, find out if you're intimidated by money and what to do about it. To receive a link to this free Zoom event, Please DM the Making Money Matter or the Mentor Dialogue Instagram pages or contact 404-604-9477. Definitely excited that we can have this conversation tonight to help um, people gain more financial literacy. No, absolutely. So without further ado, let's get started. This comes from a post that Kim put up just recently. So I'm just going to read her post to her and find out what was her thinking behind this post. And this kicks off our dialogue for today. Um, she says, listen, folks, the bigger your tax refund, it, it does not mean it was prepared with quality. Please know and understand the difference. Let's try and get to the point where we, where, oh, I'm sorry, where we are pumped about lowering the amount of tax we have to pay, if any, at tax time, Versus who gets the biggest refund. Okay? Y'all ain't ready for that conversation. <laughs> Love to highlight our partnership with Making Money Matters uh, CEO Ashley Thomas. That was a pre-recorded dialogue. We typically have um, private Zoom sessions every second Monday because this past Monday was Valentine's Day. Uh, we put out a pre-recording of should you get big tax funds, and we were able to feature uh, tax professional Kimberly Fowler. You just heard a quick cut, so a highlight to go to the Mental Dialogue YouTube page. You can hear that full cut, especially if you have not gotten your tax refund, and especially if you're a small business owner. A lot of gems in that discussion, but keep in mind that if you follow us on the IG page, Mental underscore Dialogue, or follow Money Making Money Matters on IG, you will get the opportunity to join us for our private Zoom and Making Money Matters is where money and mental health meet, featuring Ashley Thomas as well as Dr. Katrina Pittman, psychotherapist, because ultimately a lot of issues that we contend with daily affect how we are about our money, whether we recognize it or not. And so it's a beautiful opportunity to connect with us. So I wanted to highlight that. I still got Brother Kevin on, and I'm able to have another caller as well. So, Kevin, I'm going to let you get it off. But I was just I'm jumping in on you because I'm, I'm I'm pushing I'm pushing back on the the, the concept of how we see things. You say where is our Walmart? Where is our Walmart? Um, Walmart, Sam Walton gives it to his four children. They become four of the richest people in the entire country. That is in that 11 percent of entrepreneurs. That's not white people. That's their family having wealth in their family, and they employ a whole bunch of people. When we say, where is our Walmart, Walmart has a however many years start to, to, to become that as they became the industry leaders that they did. The reality of this global world that we're moving into, when it comes to industries and competing like that, that's how you see new entrepreneurs come up via technology. That's where our opportunity is to become a Walmart in another industry. What you do with Walmart is you smartly 
compete to get your items in Walmart if you have that type of business. That's the smart play based on industries. Once industries are established, they work to keep people out and not simply because of race. The, 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 the big players will set up parameters and the expense and the cost of getting a license plays a huge factor in becoming a Walmart or a titan of another industry. Technology allows us to play in new spaces. We are the most creative people in the world, and we can take advantage, and we see it all the time in technology. Do you really want to compete with a Walmart, the biggest employer in the entire country, that's controlled by a few people, as if that's something that you would even want to do? That's not even a smart play as the world goes forward. Go ahead, um, Brother Kevin, let me pull you live. <laughs> All right, let's go. Now, what? here's one thing. What's the title of your show? About telling the truth and can our people. No, 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 no. Don't let me finish. Come on now, come on now. We're having a dialogue with you. I thought you asked for the title of the show. I'm just giving it to you. I was going to let you finish. All right, no, I'm being truthful with what I'm doing. I'm telling you the truth I'm giving you right now. I'm giving you the business right now, Kevin. I'm giving you the business. You ain't. I feel you filibuster. Let's go. I, I, I am. I am. Right, I'm going to shut up for real right now. I promise. Go ahead, brother. All right. All right. Now, here's what I'm trying to tell you. Now, part of that truth is the wrong reason why I bought a Walmart. Walmart is just something I'm throwing out there right now. What I'm talking about is when it comes to business, let's go with the big. You can pull the numbers about actual numbers of businesses. What I'm talking about is the amount of money and resources that these businesses bring to this country that are what they call gentrifying the whole country. Every city around here has got a gentrification program in place. Why? Because they have major dollars. I'm not talking about that little hair salon here, a little barbershop here, a little little snack cake thing here. I'm talking about where you can take and build development in every major city around the country. Until we get real about this and make those kind of moves, we just claim. We can't get offended when we tell this is the moves we need to make. Either we're going to deal with this or we're going to live in this dream fantasy world that we go, we got it going on just like everybody else. No, we don't. We do not have it going on like everybody else because we keep playing little style games that make, it appear, make ourselves feel like we're doing better than what we really are. Look around you. Every major city has a gentrification project where we're getting pushed out. They're coming in railroading us, and that's what it is. Now, you're going to push back by pulling greater resources together, major money. you got a few little billionaires, and we think we all done made it. That little, come on now. If y'all don't pull, there's a reason why them few little billionaires, them, them entertainers, don't put their money together. Why? Because they don't want to stop them where the money comes from. They are offended. I mean, they are afraid to do a collective so, thing so, where they actually so, compete so, against the people. So, so where, do where you they actually you compete mean, against so, the company so this like the NFL. So this expectation of putting the, the money together this way, tell me where you've seen that at. Like humans, what I'm saying is humans are don't do, hmm? Humans don't move that way. That's a social construct that we don't other any other don't other groups in other countries have their own NFL. I mean, their own league, big major league. That they play. Said country. You said a country. Yes. So exactly. We have to do the same thing here. 
We got mm-hmm. we get, so so we have you know obviously we have our own African American experience here, but um, there's plenty of black. Why don't we put our own league together instead of being disrespected by the league? That we looked at, matter of fact, we just made these people billions and trillions of dollars this past weekend. Trillions of dollars this past weekend. And they still didn't let that man be a, a head coach of a, of a major football team. You will continuously be disrespected like that if you and while you study begging and eating from his plate. So, every, every year we go through this, why don't they play it poorly? They got all this money. Why don't they pull? You don't have to have the same five stadiums they did. Remember, so they crushed you when they got rid of the Negro League. They knew so what they what, were doing when they got right, rid of They, they right. integrated so those, those is, leagues. So what happens, Kevin, mm-hmm. I'm going to let Latrice jump in as well. So what happens is mm-hmm. I, I did a show, Just My Three Cents, on the um, Brian Flores situation. So what happens is the freedom that we ultimately want to have and getting out of this construct is Brian Flores doing that lawsuit based on the leverage that he has and wants to pursue and get into that white space. I'm a big fan of not fighting to get in white spaces, if you will. Um, so, and I'm pretty not sure you are as well. I'm sure you're pretty sure as you are as well. But I'm not quick to mm-hmm. broad base. Just have our own without realizing how established industries work. That's just a perspective. Sometimes, like we we had a we had a cut, cut from J.R. Smith who just threw that up. That the athletes should come do, you know, just should come to do do that together, without respecting that a lot of the largest gyms in the country are not run by athletes; they're run by businessmen who know business. And so it ain't just you have money and put it together. We think that way because of a construct that was given to us. The freedom is allow people to pursue what makes sense for them. And as we catch up, we go, we're going to be in a space to have our Walmart in certain industries. Latrice, your thoughts, Queen. Um, so I'm going to go back to the comment about gentrification, um, and and I'm going to go back to my statement about root cause, because if we get to the root cause of all of this, there won't be a, well, we need to do this or we need to do that, because those things will be happening. Um, so, you know, the, the show was made for you, Kevin, because you essentially confirmed everything that we've been talking about that we need to stop doing, in my perspective. I agree. We got three minutes, Queen. I'm going to give you the last three minutes. I, I, we didn't stall you out, unfortunately, here the last couple of minutes. So close it out because I know you are able to. This is what you do for a living. And just put it in perspective, give people some seeds to think about. Again, um, it's not a conversation where we're asking you to agree with us. We did this to challenge the stereotypes, the way we think to begin, in my opinion, becoming like a Michael J. White to a degree who's in that perspective. And uh, I'm going to end the show with a cut from him talking about he's a global citizen. He's not going to be reduced to what anybody thinks of him, whether that's white people, black people, Asians, or anybody else. That's the dream. That's where we're headed. Don't continue to accept this construct when we all necessarily need to become global citizens because the world is becoming global. Those are my last thoughts. All right. Thank you, Queen. Um, Latrice, if you will, give us your final thoughts and we're out this thing. Sure. Um, My final thoughts are around racial healing. We have this perspective because of the oppression that we've experienced. And so instead of, you know, looking at the root cause of this, we then begin, we internalize that and begin to dish it back out because we've risen above those circumstances and we don't want to be perceived as being that way anymore. I challenge that. I challenge us all to take an introspective moment like Michael Jai White did 
and look at why we're doing those things and how we are actually adding to the problems that already exist in our community, and then look towards racial healing internally so that we can respond to these types of things differently and we can be more collective in how we come together and, and push our community forward. At the end of the day, that's what it's going to take. It's going to take personal introspection, um, being intentional in our actions and our words in order to move us forward and out of this place. Yeah, lose our expectations of others, be graceful, we're graceful and be graceful with us getting through our own process. And at the end of the day, the enslavement period did not only, in a sense, took us from the understanding and knowledge of our ancestry, but ultimately it was to dehumanize us. And all we ultimately want to return to is the perspective of just being allowed to be human. And that's something that we, the grace that we don't give us to give each other quite often because of narratives that were falsely passed down. You know what I mean? You can't, you know, I'll end with this and play this cut by Michael Dry White. You can't, and when I, I wasn't making up the 99.99% of number, percent of number of African Americans who will never be involved in a murder. That's a reality. Uh, if 7,000 people are murdered, it's not okay that they're murdered, but it's 45 million, 45 million in this country. None of us will be involved, and most of us are concerned and don't know people who are willing to just murder like that. I, li- I end with that because that's something that we highlight quite often, and most of us will never do it. Don't accept those narratives. All I ask is that you think. You know, it's gotten way too far. And I think the reason I'm where I am and I've gotten, you know, there's strides that I'm making that I feel very proud of, that I'm, I'm living in my truth, and I'm making my, you know, um, uh, my uh, contribution. I'm, you know, there's a lot of things that are happening, and I feel like the reason why is because I've busted out of that, those shackles, and Therefore, the world sees me not as this person that's living in the margins because I don't accept those margins. I'm a, I am a global person. I, I'm not going to let, you know, whatever trends or whatever other people think define who I am. And I want that for my people more than anybody. And in this Environment, some conscious movie making, conscious storytelling. Hell, you know, it can do quite a bit because it's done a hell of a lot in the other goddamn direction. Mm. 